Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 33. I'll read that for us. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain to pray by himself to pray. When evening came and he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind and was, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him by saying, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat and the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. We see the circumstance where the apostles have gone into the boat, off into the uh, sea, as Jesus told them to do, and a storm comes up. Now, this is not the first storm that this kind of event has happened with Jesus. So the apostles are not necessarily, or they shouldn't have been, surprised by this situation. So they're getting beaten up by the waves. They, they look out on the, on the water at night, and they see this figure walking toward them. And they're frightened. It's a ghost. We don't know what it is. And Jesus' immediate response is, It's me, Jesus. Don't be afraid. And then as he goes on, Peter looks at him and said, Lord, if you command me, I'll get out of this boat and walk on the water to you. And Jesus says, Come. And then Peter's walking on, and we see what happens. So first in this event, what I want to point out is that Jesus' proclamation to them is, I'm the one that you know. You know me. We have a relationship. You have seen me perform miracles. You have seen me calm the storm. You have seen me heal. You have seen me do these things. There's no reason for you to be afraid. I am in control. Peter, seeing this, responds by saying, Lord, if you command it, I'll come to you. See, Peter's declaration is one of that of trust. Think, think about this for just a minute. I trust you, and Peter is saying, I trust you, Jesus, enough to get out of this boat and do something that is absolutely impossible for me to do. He says, Lord, if you command it, recognizing that he himself, Peter himself, doesn't have the power to do this. That it's going to be Jesus, the one in control of this situation. But his trust is absolute, and Lord, I know you have the power to do this to do something that is impossible for me to do on my own. 
And Jesus' response to this level of trust is affirming it. Affirming the level of trust that Peter has in something doing impossible. Come, get out of that boat, walk to me. So Peter does. And he's walking on the water. We talk about Jesus walking on the water. We have to remember in the Bible, we have just read that somebody else walked on water. Peter is walking on water to Jesus. And then what happens? He looks at his circumstance. He looks at the situation. And when he takes his eyes and focus off of Jesus and onto himself and his own, what happens? He begins to sink. He begins to do what is within his power, which is not walk on the water. This is what happens to Peter. And he does what I call the Peter prayer. He doesn't pray, Lord, if it be thine will, plucketh me from thine water. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that typical prayer that, that we as Christians, we want to flourish. And he doesn't do that. He says, Lord, save me. I paraphrase that even further to help. Now make no mistake, Peter is in peril. If he sinks, he will die. They're a long way from the shore. When I was in the Navy, uh, one of the things we had to do in boot camp was jump off this high diving board into the water. Right? And we had one of our guys say, I don't know how to swim. And the instructor said, You don't know how you don't have to know how to swim. You have to know how to float. If you fall off a ship in the middle of the ocean, you're not swimming anywhere. You have to learn to float, right? But Peter here is looking at the real situation. He's going to die sinking in this water. So he reaches out to who he originally put his trust in, Jesus. And says, save me. Jesus' response, just as it was immediately come, immediately he reached down and rescued Peter. He didn't admonish him first. Well, Peter, if you'd have paid attention to me in the first place and not taken your eyes and focus off me, you wouldn't be in that situation, Peter. He doesn't do that. He reaches down, listens to the water with a little admonition. Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And in this response of this whole situation going on, the apostles didn't say, whew, that was a close one. No, what was their response? Was to worship Jesus as the true Son of God. They saw what happened to Peter who got lost in his circumstances, taking his eyes off who he knew had absolute power. He did that and was rescued. The apostles see that rescuing him from those circumstances. And they worship him as the Son of God. Now this is not a parable. This is not his, this would be, Jesus is not saying, this is kind of like, if this happens, this will happen. Jesus isn't saying that. This is a true event. This actually happened. But we can look at this event and apply it to ourselves in, have I taken my focus off of Jesus? As believers, 
As followers of Christ, as children of the living God, we have put our focus on Christ. Amen? Have we not done that? So in that, have we lost our focus? Notice that Peter intentionally took his focus off of Jesus. Why do I say intentionally? Because we intentionally do things. Even if we think it's not intentional, it's an intentional decision. As my beautiful wife says in her counseling sessions, failure to make a decision is making a decision. So intentionally taking his focus off Jesus had immediate consequences. As believers, when we take our focus off of Jesus, there are immediate consequences. We get lost in the muck and the mire when we lose that focus. We're going to go forward a little while in Matthew when Peter again focuses on something other than the absolute power of Jesus. In Matthew, uh, I think it's chapter 14, um, Jesus is being taken uh, into custody and the process of his uh, fake trial is going on, and what happens? There are others around, and they look at Peter, and they say, what? Don't you know this guy? Aren't you a follower of his? And what's Peter's response? I don't know him. I don't know that guy. I have no knowledge of who that is. Peter again focuses on himself and his circumstances and denies the relation. Now notice here, he's not denying that Jesus is king. He's not denying that Jesus is who he says he is. What he's denying is his relationship with Jesus. Why? Because it might impact me. My sa- this is what Peter's thinking. I can just imagine. My safety is in peril. Now, what he did earlier when his safety was in peril, he said, Lord, save me. But here, Peter failed by saying, I don't know him. I don't know that man. This is after the fact that Peter has affirmed and proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. Now, fortunately, I know none of us do this flip-flop. None of us waver in this, yes, he is, gee, I don't know. None of us say, God is God, Jesus is Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Oops, I need to focus on something else. None of us do that. I know I haven't. We so easily get lost in the junk going on around us. That we intentionally lose focus. Intentionally. A dear friend of mine, I won't say his name, Mike Talley, gave me this beautiful word, intentionality. We have to intentionally keep our focus on Jesus as who Jesus is. 
when we intentionally lose that focus, when we have chosen to take that focus off of who Jesus is, then we're making a decision we have intentionally chosen to focus on something else, on the craziness that goes on in the world around us. Now, this is not necessarily about political things or other things, but I'm talking in a larger scale worldly things. When I have chosen to focus on those things, then I have intentionally chosen to take my focus off of Jesus. Now, am I saying we shouldn't be active in things that are going on? Absolutely not. We are called as believers to live in the world, but not of the world. There are things that we are called to do, to take a moral stance, to take a godly stance to be proclaimers of the gospel, to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word. We are absolutely proclaimed, are, are supposed to do that. But if in doing that, I have taken my focus off of who Jesus is and instead focused on what the world says, then we're in dangerous territory. The even more dangerous place is when we think we are focused on Jesus, when we think we're speaking for Him. How do I know that I'm just speaking for myself and not speaking for Him? What's well, because I've read... How do I know I should not be speaking on my own, but speaking as Jesus would speak? is by spending time in the Word. When I know what God's will is, and I've read what God's will is, and I know those things, then I can speak from godly perspective. Then I can speak the truth. When I'm resting on myself, just as Peter in the boat, when he looked at his own circumstances, his own power, he began to sink. When I look at those things, I'm in peril. When I look at me and what I bring to the table. But instead, looking on Jesus... And what he brings and my proclamation of who he is. But just as uh, Jesus did with Peter in both circumstances, in both his time on the sea and his time when Peter denied him, praise God that Jesus' response was not, you know what, I'm so done with you. You can't follow me. You can't follow my word. You can't follow my commands. You can't even admit that we have a relationship. I'm, I'm done. Praise God that he doesn't do that. What did he do in both of these circumstances? In the boat, he immediately reached down and picked Peter up. With an admonition, you of little faith, why did you doubt there's nothing wrong with when we lose, when we fall down and we feel a little shame, a little guilt in that. There's nothing wrong with that. Because that's Jesus saying to us through the Holy Spirit, why did you doubt me? I've rescued you before. I'll rescue you again. Just as, as Jesus did with Peter when he denied the relationship, Jesus restored that relationship. He reconciled that, that Peter denied him three times. Three times, Peter, do you love me? Then I want you to do this. 
Do you love me? I want you to feed my sheep. Do you love me? I want you to tend to the flock that I've given you. When we fall, not if, but when we fall, Jesus, through his grace and love, restores us to right relationship with him. If, in obedience and repentance, we come to him. Now, we look at these circumstances for Peter, and frankly, Peter, you, you messed up twice. You failed. You failed when you put your trust in Jesus walking on the water, and you looked at your circumstances, you failed. You failed when you failed to admit your relationship with Christ. You failed. What a horrible example you are in what we're supposed to do. Well, there's a pretty good example of what we're supposed to do. As a matter of fact, there's a perfect example of what we're supposed to do. When Jesus himself was standing before Pilate, and Pilate says, he's asking Jesus questions, and Jesus does not respond, doesn't answer the questions, and he says, do you not know that I have the authority to kill you? Do you not know the power I wield? Do you not know who's in charge here? And Jesus responds in the perfect response. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who had delivered me over to you has the greater sin. That's in John chapter 19. So John, uh, Jesus responds to Pilate by saying, you think you're in control? You think you're in power? You have no power at all unless it was given to you from above. When we look at our circumstances and we look at this fear of who's in control, is it this person or is it this person president, senator, whatever position you want to look at, I'm afraid that the wrong person is going to be in charge. Look at Jesus' perfect response. You have no authority. You have no power, no ultimate authority, unless what has been given to you from above. Because just as Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Jesus says, you think you have power? You think this crucifixion is the end of the story? You think that's going to put down this movement that's going on? I kind of wish Jesus had said, oh, you silly man. You have no clue who is in authority here. And the beautiful thing is it doesn't take years, months, four years to an next election cycle to figure out who's in charge. We saw it three days later. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. I have ultimate authority. Pilate, Pharisees, Kyle Orell, 
You don't have ultimate authority. I have ultimate authority. I have ultimate authority over sin and death and everything else. Amen? The beautiful thing here is that Jesus' ultimate authority cannot be thwarted by man's proposed authority. Surely there are, there are people in leadership over us, representatives over us, that make policies that we have to live with. Surely that's true. I'm not, I'm not negating that. But I'm saying my freedom does not rest in you. I enjoy the freedom we have here in this country that we can come on a Sunday morning and not fear reprisal. I love that. Because frankly, there are places in this world you know that that's not true. We are very blessed to be in the situation we're in. But my freedom doesn't rest in that. For if the sun sets you free, you're free if you live in the right country. For if the sun sets you free, you're free if you vote for the right party. No, for if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. So again, in this question of who's in ultimate authority, do we look at ourselves and our own set of circumstances? at our own realm of what's going on around us. If we do, we've lost intentional focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We look at the perfect model of Jesus. Did he lose focus? Did he lose focus of who was in charge? Did he lose focus of the ultimate truth that was going to be played out? No. He perfectly showed us what that was going to be. Do we perfectly do that same thing? No, I don't know about y'all, but I'm not perfect. But I can trans be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit into the image of the Son, proclaiming that eventually the ultimate authority will be shown to everyone. The Bible does not say some knees will bow and some, knee, uh, some tongues will confess. It said all knees will bow. All tongues will confess. All will know that Jesus is in absolute authority. He is King of Kings. So as Jesus did, do we look at our circumstances or do we look at the eternal truth and eternal security? That's what we're called to do. Our time here is temporal on this earth, but our security is eternal. So I have a question. What defines us? What historical event can we point to that verifies our faith? Was it July 4th, 1776? Is that the historical event we pin our faith on? No. I love being American. I joined the Navy so that I could defend this country. But that's not what defines me. That's not my ultimate citizenship. 
The event that defines me was just as we sang in the praise song, was an empty tomb. The empty tomb defines the historical event that took place that says who I am. I am a child of God. As a believer, you are a child of God. That is your ultimate citizenship. Not the circumstances that may change here on this earth, but the circumstances that will never change. Never change. So the question, another question that I have in all this and the circumstances that are going on and all that, should we, should we be divided? Well, the Bible says yes. What? Jesus says, I, have, I came to cast fire. This is in Luke chapter 12. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already be kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. There is division that Jesus came to proclaim. But that division is not our political party. That division is not our stance on social issues. That division is on our faith in Christ alone. Where do I stand in my faith in Christ alone? Just this last Tuesday night in men's Bible study, Merle Gilmore, uh, uh, Merle (laughs) Gorman, I don't know why I said Gilmore. You know Merle said there's two kinds of people, saved and unsaved. Those are the two. So is there division? Yes, there's division. Jesus proclaimed that there would be division. And there's a need to be divided. Not for us to feel better about ourselves, but to know where I stand for eternity's sake. For eternity's stake, I stand on faith in Christ alone. There are others that don't. Question is, how do we confront this division? It exists. Jesus just told us it exists. So how do we confront the division? Well, we hate people that aren't like us. That's how we do it. We talk down about people that think differently than we do. That's how we do it. That's how we confront this division. Is that true? No, absolutely not. We confront this division with love. They will know us by our love. In 1 John chapter 2, John says at the same time, he talks just before what I'm fixing to say, he talks about the old commandment. You know the old commandment. This is the old commandment that Jesus spoke of in uh, the gospel uh, when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He refers back to the Old Testament. 
This is the greatest commandment, that you love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the old commandment. And John says in, in 1 John, you know the old commandment. But do you know the new commandment? I can imagine the readers going, what, what's the new commandment? I didn't, I didn't get that memo. What's the new commandment? If you look at the gospel of John chapter 13, Jesus tells us what that new commandment is. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. So how do we love? We love as Jesus loves. We love as Jesus loves you. We love as Jesus loves others. How do we do that? We do that through unhesitant forgiveness. We don't hold back forgiveness. We don't wait till somebody comes and asks for forgiveness. We don't wait until we see if they deserve it. We intentionally reach out in forgiveness. That's how we love. How do we love? We love with patience. God is long-suffering. Patience, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner, have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. So here, rightly so, Paul is talking about unity. We talked about Jesus talking about division, but Paul rightly so talks about unity, unity as believers in Christ. We are to be unified. And one of those aspects is patience. Patience for those that are the unsaved. Patience for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ that frankly may not be acting godly. Patience in them. God is doing a work in them. How do I know that? Because He's doing a work in me. How do we confront that division? By speaking the truth in love. I am in no way saying that we don't talk about moral things, that we don't take stances on social issues where ungodly things are happening. When we have the opportunity to speak against abortion, we should speak against abortion. When we have the opportunity to speak against human trafficking, we should speak against human trafficking. When we have the opportunity to speak against child sex predators, we should talk against child sex predators. We have the obligation to do that. But we do that in love. I had somebody tell me once we were, I was in a group thing and we were talking and they said, uh, oh, I forgot you're a Bible thumper. And I said, you know, if I'm thumping it, I'm not using it correctly. It's not a whacking stick to hit somebody over the head with. It's a book of love that we share a message of truth and grace and mercy with other people. So regardless of the circumstances and situations of the world, 
We are to love one another. Is that message clear? Love one another. When we walk out of these doors for the coming week, love one another. Now, the scripture that actually started this, as, as Breck read, was from Isaiah. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus is in charge. He sits on a throne forever. He is king. He is sovereign. So when I'm holding back that love, that forgiveness, those things that we talked about, because I'm afraid about the circumstances that are going on, the uncertainty, the unsureness of what's going on, I, I just don't know what's going on around me. No. But I know who is in ultimate control of this situation. I know where my security rests, and it is not in man. Most importantly, it's not in myself. But in Jesus Christ, the eternal King. Amen? I'm going to ask the elders that are in here, I think there may be only two, three, to go to the back. If you're wrestling with a truth that was spoken this morning, I don't... I don't know how I feel about that. Then ask for prayer. If you're wrestling with, I haven't loved well this week, ask for prayer. If there's somebody on your heart that is lost, that there's division between you and them in that way, ask for prayer. So I'm going to lead us off in prayer and then the worship team is going to come up at at any point, feel free to go to the back and pray with one of the elders. Father God, we thank you so very much for who you are. We thank you so very much as the creator God that you are, that in your love for us, you have reached down and rescued us as we cried, Lord, save me. Father, when we have denied a relationship with you because we have intentionally focused on something else, you have reconciled us to yourself. Father, even though there is division between us and other people on this earth, you proclaim that through our love we can reach out to them with the message of love and grace that comes from you and you alone. Thank you, Father, and praise you, Father, for being that God. As we leave today, Father, impress upon us the truth of your word, the truth of your mercy, and the truth of your judgment. And we say this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.